It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Hey everyone, Ben Price here. This is some Thunder Down Under. And uh, excited to be back with you all today and uh, bringing you a series within the series. Of course, this is daily thunder, scattered thunderstorms with a chance of a light shower in the afternoon and a cool breeze, perhaps. And so I'm bringing you my series, which is, uh, yes, evangelism truths from heroes of the faith. We have some great heroes of the faith that are like signposts, all pointing to the destination of Jesus. And so... We looked at, uh, the first one was uh, Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill, no man is greater than his prayer life. An amazing one. You can go and check those episodes out. Or you can see the previous episode, which was looking at C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd, and I gave him a voice like this. Still very British, but quite manly as well. And I think he may have sounded like that. Who knows? And uh, I talked about how not only was he a great evangelist, missionary to uh, China in India, and to Africa. He was, you know, all of that, but he was a great cricketer as well. And I talked that uh, I was also into cricket when I was um, growing up and I really wanted to play for my country. And I almost did because I got to play uh, for Australia, if you like, <laughs> in a small sense, a very, very small sense when I was over in the Ukraine of all places. Yeah, where there is no cricket. But my friend who was a missionary there, Wayne, Wayne from Ukraine, uh, it was laugh about that and uh, he started this um, outreach where he plays cricket with people and you know gets to share the gospel with them and it's fantastic so I got to do that but I wanted to also bring that up and just say to keep praying for him because he's really uh, literally on the front line going out with bulletproof vests rescuing those who are in the crisis at the moment in the Ukraine and so you know there's a time where he could have just uh, come back home because he's an Australian citizen and fled the country uh, but why would he abandon those he needs to reach in their darkest hour? Uh, reminds me of Nehemiah when he could have fled the temple and he said, shall such a man as I flee? Uh, when you know you're called, you will do everything uh, that you know you have to do as to fulfill that call and God will give you the strength to do it. And so, yeah, that, that's awesome. And I think all this really is setting up for... The, the hero of the faith that I want to look at today. Um, and when we went from the Ukraine, we went straight to the country of Russia. Uh, yes, and there was in Russia, and there was in a uh, town called Novosibirsk, and the talk like this in Novosibirsk. Yes, I hope if you're Russian, you don't mind my accent, because not all Russians do. They're quite critical. I was once at a dentist, and the assistant was a Russian lady saying, uh, you know, every time a Westerner tries to do our accent, they make us sound like, you know, this in the movies. And I was like, oh, does this sound Russian? She's like, no, not quite. I said, what about this? No, no, not quite. Okay, how about now? No, not so much. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm doing the same voice. So I tried, you know, to vary it up a bit. They probably sounded like, Gru, yes, hello, my name is Gru. Fun one for the kids, but... Uh, yeah, I was in Russia and Novosibirsk. It was lovely. It was during their summer, which was nice. And I met um, an Aussie family there. They were missionaries. And I got to interview them as part of this documentary film we made. And I asked them this question. I said, guys, tell me, what made you move to Russia? And he said, well, uh, for us, 
The answer was, yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? And I said, that's so good. Uh, afterwards, we chatted about it. I said, I love that answer that you gave. I said, I've got this friend, uh, Eric Ludy from Colorado, and it sounds just like something he would say because he, Eric talks about the, uh, the predecided yes. And uh, that, that predecided yes that says, yes, Lord, I'm available. I don't know what you're going to ask, but my answer is yes. Yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? And it's really uh, counting the cost to be a disciple. And it talks about in Luke 14, 28, Jesus says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So we know that would be a builder's thing. I'm not much of a builder, right? But uh, they would have to count the cost. But as Christians, we've got to also count the cost to say we, we know what uh, we can expect. And so many Christians uh, would say we've given our lives to Christ, but yet when they're asked to do something radical, uh, perhaps to go somewhere or do something that's uncomfortable, they say, well, I don't know about that. And it's like they have a decision. Whereas aren't we bought with a price? We're not our own. Doesn't God have full access and ownership to our lives? I remember when I really understood this, I prayed something which I call a dangerous prayer where I said, Lord, you know, you can do whatever you want, however, whenever, wherever, and my life belongs to you. And it's a dangerous prayer. Now, God, I believe, leads you to pray something like that. You're not praying that if you're in the flesh. There's no way. Uh, you're praying something like that because you really know I trust you with all my heart. And I'm leaning not on my own understanding. And so counting the cost. Abraham counted the cost. And uh, you see that, you know, he, he didn't argue and say, yeah, sacrificing my only son. Uh, you can do whatever you want, but just not that. Uh, he responded to God by saying, here I am. In, in the Hebrew, that is, and I hope I do this justice, but it's like, hinani. Uh, maybe I need a bit more in there, hinani, like this. And it was something that Moses said in front of the burning bush, here I am, hinani. Uh, it was something Isaiah, when he stood uh, before the Lord and he saw the train of his robe fill the temple, he said, here I am, send me, hinani. It's that attitude of, Lord, I'm here. I'm available, I'm willing, you are Lord, whatever you say, yes, Lord, is my answer. Now, what's the question? Now, it's risky to do that because you never know what he'll do, but we trust God that he knows. And so that's really setting it up for what I want to talk about, the hero of the faith we're looking at today. And I said, you know, I have a a strong connection to, uh, again, uh, this is one who is a hero, a recent hero of the faith. And I'm talking about David Wilkerson, the man of anguish. So probably a little clue there if you've seen the title, the man of anguish. But uh, yeah, he was born in Indiana in 1931, died tragically in a car accident only 11 years ago in 2011. And I remember when that happened and, um, you know, we, we lost a giant of the faith, um, but for me, when I when I grew up, when I was about eight or nine, that was when I was first introduced to David Wilkerson, um, to who he was by the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, which I'm sure a lot of you have read. It's one of the, it's still in print today from 1963. And so it's an excellent book. Uh, recommend it. And uh, also recommend um, Run Baby Run, which was Nikki Cruz 
account of the same story. But uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible story that I had uh, when I was a, uh, growing up at a Christian school. We had a thing like um, similar to Boy Scouts, but we're, we're called Pathfinders, and it, it was a Christian uh, version where we'd go every week and we'd do all scout types of things, but they'd have a devotion and they would share about, um, they'd read from Crossing the Switchblade and Run Baby Run. And so I got to know these uh, characters back then. I had a comic book of uh, Crossing the Switchblade and I'd seen the film, which uh, really showed uh, that story so well. And uh, so I, I knew of that and it was in the early 2000s when I was able to stream some of his sermons. And uh, th these were some of the first sermons I got to hear online. I just thought it was amazing at the time. Wow, you can listen to a sermon and uh, without tapes or CDs. And uh, and then he came to Australia in 2006, David Wilkerson and his son, Gary Wilkerson. Uh, they came, so I got to see. And, and I remember feeling, uh, even though I'd been in church for all my life, uh, I, I remember hearing one of the sermons that David preached and just so convicting. And I just felt such a... Uh, an emotion that uh, I was in tears afterwards, which I hadn't for so long experienced after a sermon, but it was so challenging, so convicting, and just such a great preacher. It reminded me a lot of Leonard Ravenhill um, in hearing his sermons because, you know, uh, the two were friends and they, they sort of uh, had a similar ilk. They, they had that real passion and uh, you can see there's there's an influence there. They, they both had that similarity of that passion for the Lord and... Um, they really preached um, not not just like like Leonard Ravenhill said, you know, preaching's uh, not a profession; it's a passion. It's a passion, and so. But you see that with Wilkerson, with, with his voice like this, and you know that that passion. I'll get a little bit more of his voice as we go along in this, but um, so, so that was my introduction to him. And actually, at that time, I bought one of his books, and I bought uh, on the same bookshelf uh, selling afterwards. There was a book by Nikki Cruz called Soul Obsession. And I got to uh, I got to purchase that as well, which uh, as an evangelist, it was so good to read about how obsessed he was with souls and winning souls for Christ. So uh, at the end of that book, there was this little section where you could email if you really wanted to give feedback. And I did that, got a standard response. And then about a day later, got this actual response from his assistant. I just was really excited to get that. And uh, not not purposely trying to market myself, but they saw my URL, Ben Price Comedy, and decided that if Nikki came to uh, Australia, that they would get me to warm up the crowd. And a few months later, that's what happened. And I got to do that. Uh, he did two nights in a row of crusade uh, where there was 15,000 people at each night. And it was amazing to see that many people and to hear him. And um, it was funny, the, the guy who... I just met uh, Nicky Cruz backstage and he was such a lovely guy and he was, um, you know, short but so fit. Anyone short next to me, I'm six foot three and a half and yeah, but he, he was this uh, terrific, humble guy and uh, so fit. At the time he was 68, now he's in his 80s and I said, man, he's so fit. What's your secret? Is it the wrong baby wrong? And you know, he, you know, he was such a nice guy, Nicky Cruz, and I uh, got to meet him and... Uh, the guy who introduced me um, on the stage was, uh, I think he was also Puerto Rican, and he was like, tonight we have a comedian, he's uh, a terrific guy, loves the Lord, and he's a great friend of Nicky's. I don't remember hearing this thing, I've just met him. 
hey, you know, we are great friends, um, but he's a great friend of Niggy, and you're going to like this guy. He's going to come out for you and perform to you, and that was so good. Uh, but that was that was a great time back then. But uh, yeah, I, I really, uh, as I said, had a strong connection towards David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was the one that brought the gospel to Nikki Cruz, just to give some context if you're not familiar with the story. And I listened to a lot of his sermons from Times Square Church. And I even got to visit Times Square Church a few years ago. And that was just an awesome um, experience to go there and actually see, wow, this is where it was. And uh, yeah, it was, it was refreshing to go there because, you know, New York's a pretty uh, spiritually dark place. So it was it was wonderful to see. That's my introduction to this man. But uh, he started out as... Um, in his ministry, he'd grown up, you know, with that legacy because his grandfather was a pastor. His father was a pastor. He became a pastor. And his son, Gary Wilkerson, also is a pastor over in Colorado Springs. And uh, yeah, as I said, I got to see both of them. Um, and a lot of this comes from the, the book that Gary Wilkerson actually wrote. There it is. It's called David Wilkerson. That's by Gary Wilkerson. And it's Highly recommended because, you know, it, sh it shows the highlights of David Wilkerson, but it also shows just the raw uh, weaknesses and the, the humanity of David Wilkerson that you don't always hear about, which I really appreciated. And it was just, uh, it shows how he just went through uh, trials and difficulties and had questions. But but all in all, man, you just have a, a, a new respect for him that I loved. And um, and I think that's, that's important that you, you don't just say, you know, here's the highlights, but it, it shows everything and uh, and how he went through it with grace and with humility. And uh, he started out in his ministry. He was just a pastor in uh, Phillipsburg, a small um, rural area, uh, farming sort of town where he, um, back in those days, was known, this is in the sort of mid to late 50s, as Davy Wilkerson, young Davy Wilkerson. And uh, in, the, in those days, he's described a little different to how we often remember him as because in those days he was um one Sunday his brother um he asked him to move all the cars in the church to park them uh out the front that way it looked like there was always a church gathering so it was almost a little bit cunning and uh he would do uh things to attract crowds like he would do ventriloquism and put it on for the kids which I just can't imagine uh, even though we're all ventriloquists after the last couple of years with having to wear masks, right? And I've always said that, you know, a lot of women, most women are fantastic ventriloquists without even knowing that they'll just be like, check out what she's wearing. Look at the shoes. Look at her shoes. That, that, ladies do that. And uh, if you're hearing this on podcast, you, you'll you'll miss the, the visual joke there, but uh, you can go and check it out. So, he did all that, uh, David Wilkerson, ventriloquism, and you know, and he was known as Davy. It reminds me of Jacob in the Bible, where he uh, was the heel grabber, deceiver. That's what his name meant to to grab the birthright, the blessing from Esau. And it wasn't until he wrestled with God until the break of day, where he had his name changed, where he got the real blessing from God and became known as Israel. And it was similar, I guess, in 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 a way where David really became a man of prayer, a man of prayer, and he had consecrated his life. So when I talk about uh, counting the cost, giving your whole life over to Christ, um, my answer is, yes, Lord, now what's the question? I can imagine this was 
a similar, whether he said it or not, he gave himself in consecration to God, I'm yours, and particularly in the area of prayer. And uh, that's when he really, well, they didn't call him Davy after that. He was, he was David Wilkerson because he'd really gotten to that next level, that deeper level with Christ. Uh, and, and it was a man of anguish in prayer. And I just want to read a little extract here because it's, um, you know, the legacy, his father was uh, a pastor as well. And this is saying, um, at home, dad, so this is Gary talking about uh, David, learned the practices of a consecrated life, a a life that's set apart, that's given over to Christ. Uh, From his parents, his father's study on the second floor was a sacred place where brother Kenneth paced back and forth, practicing his sermons, his intonations, and a familiar sound to his children. He also spent hours there studying the Bible which to my grandfather contained everything a person needed to know about life, truth, wisdom, history, human nature, and most important, the character of God. The scriptures translated every earthly experience in light of truth that was timeless, permanent, and revelatory. And it goes on to say, my dad adopted these same convictions and practices. As a pastor, he made his study the one place where he could be completely himself, open before God about his sins, vulnerable about his needs, anguished over a broken world and able to refresh himself with hope. There's that word um, anguish, which he is synonymous with because he didn't just pray, he had anguished prayer. And uh, there's that difference between just saying, well, I prayed for you today, as opposed to really being burdened with it, even though Yes, uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. There's that, to not be uh, weighed down by the anxieties of the world, and the, the um, pressures of this world that weigh on our mind, uh, to give that over to God. But yes, to be burdened and almost um, in anguish uh, with prayer over certain things that uh, really what breaks God's heart to break our heart and what, what God loves, we love what he hates. We hate, and that's really having the fear of God and just being anguished in prayer. And that's, that's something that he had. Uh, it's a difference. And it's really reminds me a lot of Reese Howes as well. Reese Howes intercessor is a great book as well. And he would pray for hours. And that was really his uh, ministry really to pray for so long for so many souls as if that prayer need was actually his And so it's a difference between just praying something. And I said, I prayed for you, but taking it on as if it's your own. Because when it's your own, you're burdened with it. You're constantly thinking and you're constantly praying about it. And he would do that as a one that would stand in the gap. And it's reminding me me of that anguished prayer that David had as well. So that's um, a little introduction to him. But uh, he was also a man who, I want to say, not just a man who was of anguished prayer. Uh, he was humble. And I think that's something that I saw when I got to see him preach uh, in 2006 when he came to Melbourne. And uh, they talked about all the great things he had done, like Teen Challenge and World Challenge and starting Times Square Church. Of course, crossing the switchblade and many other things that he's done all around the world. And uh, there's that. But then when, when he came on stage, he, he didn't sort of bask in that. He just was like, okay with his hands just to settle down. It's it's not about me, okay? He didn't say that, but that's his actions were 
this is not about me. This is all about Christ. And he showed that through his preaching and he gave uh, glory to God in, in all that he did. He had a humble attitude and we need that because God gives grace to the humble. If we want God's grace in our lives, uh, let's, let's not make it about us. So that, that's another thing that he had about him. But he also had um, a givenness. When, when you have a consecrated life to God, you, you give yourself fully to that burden that you, uh, God has given you. And so he did that, particularly when he went over to New York. He, he fully gave himself to the, the cause of this. Um, and he became one of them, not literally because they were gang members. He didn't become a gang member. You know, there are people that try to do that and they uh, want to look like the world. They want to act like the world and in order to win the world. And that's not what we're to do, we're to be in the world. But yes, relating to them. And it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not my, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And that's something that we see. Yes, David Wilkerson became, became a gang leader to reach the gang leaders. Not literally, but he spoke on their level. And we see that because he went down there first and, uh, and it didn't actually go... Great. Uh, it, there was success in that he was able to reach someone firstly with the gospel. Um, he had an impediment of wearing shoes. Can you believe that? Were, were nice shoes. And a, a guy in the street was like, how can I listen to a man who has such nice shoes when I can't even afford a pair of shoes? And he removed them and he uh, gave them to this man. And, and he had a an in, inroad to become like that man, to, to be... Uh, the Jew to the Jew, if you want to say it that way. and um, But he wanted to reach these street kids. Uh, he wanted to reach them, but was unable to. And he got a photograph taken of him in the courtroom where he was wanting to meet these uh, street kids. And they said, uh, what's that in your hand? It's a Bible. He held it up and they take this photo that seemed almost like it was a failure. Seemed like it wasn't actually the publicity that he was wanting and uh, I think there were people that were a little upset that he'd gone there and what are you doing? You know, he's got a pregnant wife at home and you go down there. But um, his grandfather said, you know, I think this is definitely where you're called. And uh, he knew that was his calling to go back there. And, uh, and, and that incident actually led to giving him some credibility for the those on the street and the gangs in terms of, you know, they don't like you and they don't like us. So we have that common denominator. That was his inroad to reach them. So he was the Jew to the Jew, the Roman to the Roman, the weak to the weak, as Paul writes there in First Corinthians. So he had that. and um, But he also had that compassion that reached them. He didn't just say, well, I'm going because we have to go and that's what we're called to do. He had compassion. And I believe that was born out of that anguished prayer 
uh, just where he focused on Christ and whatever was burdening the, the Lord's heart would be burdened on his heart. And that's where it came from. And, you know, just to read that in the book as well, uh, it talks about it was anguish, anguish, as he would say, holy anguish. This is not a quote from David, but this is uh, I'm just doing a little bit of his voice to, to warm you up. But uh, over what the over what the world had become, anguish over the senseless murder of a defenseless boy, anguish over the seething hurt and deprivation that had boiled over in the boys who committed it. And finally, anguish over their fate and the waste of every life involved. To God, they were all precious. And that night in the small study of his Phillipsburg Parsonage, looking at that image in life, Dad felt wave after wave of God's anguish. So the story goes in uh, Crossing the Switchblade that David Wilkerson was, um, you know, obviously God in his providence had, had led him to have that anguished heart in prayer. And then he sees this uh, Life magazine. It wasn't even a photograph, but it was this pen drawing of uh, these boys who were on trial for murder. And it was quite a big case in those days, in the late 50s, uh, of these gang members. Uh, and it was just showing their faces. And even a pen drawing, uh, you know, you could look at it and sneer and say, they're terrible. And yeah, it was a terrible act that they did, of course. But it was the compassion that he had that these boys need Christ. And I need to go there. That, that was this burden, this anguish burden. So... As I said, he went there at first, uh, didn't seem to work out. But of course, the failure, what looked like failure, uh, what the enemy means for evil, God can mean for good because it was an inroad to speak to more of them when he went back the second time. And uh, it's it's like Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those that love God who are called according to his purpose. So he was able to go back and this time uh, connect with other gang leaders as well. And that's where he met Nikki Cruz. And Nikki Cruz was a bad dude at that time. He was a gang member of the Mau Mau's and they were one of the worst gangs in the late 50s at that particular time, always having rumbles, always having, uh, you know, there was a lot of drug issues going on back then. And so uh, it was like a fish out of water, you know, because here's this uh, described as a skinny white preacher from... They they thought he was a hick, and uh, Nicky Cruz says, you know, he, you know, he was so skinny, he was like spaghetti, this guy. And uh, here he comes into this world. But he had the credibility to be able to speak to them because the press didn't like either of them. So he had that inroad to go there. And uh, yes, uh, so he went and shared um, with them. And it, again, I want to read from, um, this is what, in Mark 2, 15 to 17, uh, Jesus went in among uh, the, the the real sinners of the day, um, standing out, you know, it, it's light and dark, really. Uh, and it happened here, it says, as he, Jesus, was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it? Do you think they would have said, yes, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. And this is something that, um, you know, obviously in that story, there's the, the cultural context that uh, a Jew could not uh, dine with the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews. So there's that, but there's also uh, Jesus being with the sinners, bringing them towards repentance. It's not that he would assimilate with them. And uh, what we see commonly these days is what people call friendship evangelism. And I've heard it said it's neither friendship nor evangelism. It's um, when we really want to reach someone for the gospel. Yes, we can go into dark places, but it doesn't mean that uh, we're influenced by them. We want to be influencing them towards the gospel and bringing them towards repentance. And that's something that David Wilkerson did. He was uh, on their level, but to bring them out of that darkness. And um, But he, he went right in. He had that consecrated life. He was... Uh, not just going in there, doing a rally and going out to the next town. He really went and lived among them, uh, as a lot of missionaries do. They don't just go in and speak at a rally. Some might do that, and there may be a time where you go in quickly, but there are other times when you've got to be immersed in that. And when you've got a consecrated life, that's something you'll do. Uh, he lived in his car, blocked out the windows with newspapers. And um, the other thing I want to talk about is his evangelism approach. Now, I guess uh, a lot of people would not necessarily approve of this, uh, and it's not necessarily... See, I train people in doing evangelism, and we use um, Way of the Master from Living Waters, which is Ray Comfort's uh, method. It's not really even his. It's actually the, what what Christ did, what, what Paul, what Peter and, and John, uh, the apostles would preach the gospel, but they would use God's law. And uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So there's a purpose of the law that actually brings us to Christ. That's what it talks about in uh, Galatians 3.24. The law is our schoolmaster. And this is what leads us to Christ. So using God's law, it gives people the knowledge of sin. Without the knowledge of sin, they how do they repent? And if they can't repent, how do they really put off the old and put on the new to become born again? So... The law is something that when we see people who are filled with pride and there's so often people that are filled with pride because they'll say, well, I'm good enough to get to heaven. We use God's law to show them uh, gently, like, can you see yourself against that? Bible says in the law, do not lie, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Even Jesus saying adultery, uh, when we look with lust, is as adultery in the heart. Uh, and when we sit, when it says do not murder and honor your parents, etc., how does your life compare to that? And that really stops a person in their tracks, humbles them, and then we can administer the gospel. Whereas when David Wilkerson shared, he he basically said, "Nikki, Jesus loves you." I, I do the older David Wilkerson, uh, but but he would have sounded a lot younger back then. Nikki, Jesus loves you, and. It's not typically what we would say, but here's the thing. There was already a preparation work that the Holy Spirit had been uh, doing because they already had a knowledge of sin. They already had an understanding because they were gang members. They were bad people that were in rumbles. They were into drugs. They were into sexual immorality. You can imagine all kinds of sin. He grew up with a mother who was in witchcraft. Uh, this is talking about Nikki Cruz, who, whose mum had... His mum had always said uh, that you're the, the son of a devil. So he was not someone gloating over being a good person. 
uh, he knew that he was a sinner and he was condemned. And so when he spoke and said, Nikki, Jesus loves you, that just, it almost pestered him. It, it, it couldn't get out of his head everywhere he goes. Like thinking, oh, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, Nikki. And it's like, couldn't get it out of his mind. And um, it's almost like when you and I share the gospel with someone who is frustrated, uh, there's the analogy that people talk about a, a stone in your shoe. It frustrates them until the point where, okay, I've got to get it out. And it's better than no result whatsoever. And that was the preparation for him to uh, then eventually come to a crusade, hear the gospel and come to Christ. So there is a time when, yes, when someone has more of a humility because they know that they're a sinner, that we can go into God's grace and say, Jesus loves you. I had an experience where um, there's a few places we go to sharing the gospel uh, during during the week and on the weekends where I got to share with a lady who she'd been in prison uh, for drug possession and she assaulted cops. And yeah, she had a whole resume of bad stuff. It was just not, she knew she was not a good person. She was also in a uh, lesbian relationship and and I was able to share the gospel with her. I was able to say, Jesus loves you and tell her. And, you know, she started getting quite teary and um, she was like, oh, can we sit over here? And didn't want to be around other people hearing. Uh, but I, I shared with her for about 25 minutes. It was just a really um, one of those divine encounters. Now, there, there were times where I still used God's law and still brought in truths that she needed to hear uh, from God's law. Uh, and because, you know, she knew she was a liar and a thief, etc. But but I, I also addressed the issue of, you know, homosexuality also being a sin. And that's confronting. And it's not uh, an easy thing to address people with their sin when particularly it's a stronghold on their life because you know there could be a reaction. And but we are called to speak the truth in love. As a friend of mine who I shared the gospel with years ago, who was one of my best friends and um it was via email and uh he's living overseas and um i i sent him an email and he politely responded very firmly but no i'm not interested at all now he'd heard me share but this was personalized and i was you know had that anguished burdened heart of compassion to just respond back with an email really challenging him on the gospel but just really wanting him to come to christ and this time uh, there was retaliation. He was really angry. I won't repeat what he said. Basically, he was just not happy with me and didn't want to ever see me again. And I remember telling my wife and, and one of my friends who was a mutual friend, I said, you know, I would rather not be his friend and see him go to heaven than to remain friends and see him go to hell because his salvation was so important to me. And uh, look, thankfully, we're still friends and thankfully there's a softening there. And we're still praying for him. But, uh, you know, one of the things I identify again with Wilkerson is that anguished prayer, particularly over souls. There are I have a list of people that I'm praying for salvation and constantly praying for their salvation. And it's it's with anguished prayer because it's not just, oh, well, we pray for them and we mentioned them and yeah, we we finished the prayer and yeah, we did it every day. Good. But really there's an anguish in, in my soul of, oh, I'm burdened to pray for these people. And sometimes you wake in the night to pray for them. And 
But um, it, it's what I said there about, you know, speaking the truth in love is something that Wilkerson, David Wilkerson would also do. Um, yes, he would sometimes bring in God's law when it was necessary, but he would also bring in grace when he saw humility. Um, but he would also stir the church and he was unafraid. Uh, it didn't matter, actually, you know, because if God's calling you to something, we've got to speak that truth. And there's just a quote him, he says, when God calls you to something, he's not always calling you to succeed. He's calling you to obey. The success of the calling is up to him. The obedience is up to you. Uh, and he had anguish, just another quote here. The touch of God is marked by tears, deep, soul-shaking tears, weeping when it comes to the last barriers down to you and surrender yourself to God. So there was a, a passion, there was an anguish in his, his life, but, uh, but he did speak the truth. Sometimes he reminds me of Paul in um, Acts 20, where he didn't uh, shrink back from bringing the full counsel of God. And, and that's risky. We're not going to have popularity and uh, all the, the likes and the, um, the warmth from someone. Sometimes it's about, oh, I'm risking saying this, but I need to say it. Um, Nathan the prophet said that to David, risked his life really when he said, you're the man. Um, reminds me of Balaam. Uh, David Wilkerson, not not so much when he struck his donkey three times. I wonder if um, the donkey was like Shrek's, the donkey Shrek was like, hey man, why you going hit me, Nick? Why you going hit me like that for, man? Hit me three times, man. It's not very nice. And, and, and Balaam's like, oh, a talking donkey. No, he didn't say that. He just responded like, this is normal. They've been talking for years. <laughs> He's like, if I had a sword, I would have, I would have, I would have used you to strike you with the sword. But uh, now he reminds me of Balaam, uh, David Wilkerson, because he spoke what he was burdened and anguished with that God had given him. Uh, no matter, you know, he didn't look for man's favor, but he looked for the favor of God. He had the fear of God, not the fear of man. And, and I really appreciate that. And I think that's important in our evangelism. It's important in our lives that we, we don't just people please, but we please God. And uh, it says in Numbers twenty two thirty eight, and Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Uh, now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth that I must speak. And so whatever that looks like, we must speak. And yes, it's difficult, but I appreciate so much that Wilkerson was a man who was so in prayer and so um, anguished in prayer that there were times where he had to speak a hard word and it was certainly needed by the church to stir the church, much like Ravenhill, but also even uh, to do the hard calling of to go into those dark dangerous places where he was going uh, to do some of the hardest work as, as an evangelist. It was like getting your hands dirty, but it came from a place of anguish in prayer. His life, of course, was built on the foundation of Christ, but out of that comes this uh, frame of having a prayer life that was so anguished. And uh, so we see that he was a man of anguish. He was a man of humility. He was a man who had a consecrated life. 
And uh, we can also learn not just that uh, we might know evangelism already where we use the law to those who are proud and then give grace to the humble. Um, there is also a discerning of knowing when to see that they're already a sinner who knows that and I must share the gospel straight away with these people. And so these are some of the lessons. Um, but, you know, above all, I see if I was going to use one word to describe David Wilkerson, um, it's that word anguish. And uh, you can see it on YouTube. There's a whole sermon that he did about that. And there's a little extract uh, from that. Uh, it's just called A Call to Anguish, which I think you can see on the Ellerslie.com website. And uh, I, a couple of years ago, did a little tribute to David uh, doing my version of that. So I'd like to leave you with that. And I think um, it's something that I want to leave you with, not just to see this is me doing his voice, but I really hope it inspires you uh, as you go out and share the gospel to have that heart of anguish, that compassion for the lost. And so uh, thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time. And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions of ministry of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, the hatred of correction and hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You, you don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotions so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you, or around you. Deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. Held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival torque, became so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. Search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and his people. And he would find a praying man and take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now, folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish, no weeping, not a word, not a word of prayer. It's all ruined. 
does it matter to you? Does it matter to you today that all God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? There's such a coldness sweeping the land. Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? A sign of ruin that's slowly draining the spiritual power and passion. Blind to the lukewarmness. Blind to the mixture that's creeping in. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't labor in prayers anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, is what I just said convicting to you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that begins to interest you. You take an interest in a project or a cause, a concern or a need. And I want to tell you something. I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching, if it is not born in anguish, if it had not been born of the Holy Spirit, where what you saw and heard that drove you to your knees took you into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God. I know now, oh my God, do I know it, until I am in agony, until I've been anguished over it. And all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do, we're the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids because they know they're not hearing it going to hell. You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing his heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh, God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit is being mocked. The enemy's out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal. No revival, no awakening until we're willing to let him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late. It's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's some that need to get to this altar and confess, I am not what I was. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I wanted it easy. I just want to be happy. Lord, true joy comes out of anguish. Nothing in the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money. I don't care what kind of new house. There is absolutely nothing physical that can give you joy. Only what's accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey and take on his heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your heart. Make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.